Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Might view other people. So let me just ask you a question this morning. Are there lonely, disconnected, isolated people in our communities? Yes. Let's make it a little bit more personal this morning. Are there lonely, isolated, disconnected people in our very church? Yes. How do we as a church meet all of these needs? I mean, you look at the needs in our community, you look at the needs in our church, and it becomes overwhelming at times to think about just how much there is loneliness, there's disconnection, there's, there's isolation, there's lack of friendships. In a USA Today article from 2009, it was called, Loneliness is Increasing and It Can Harm Your Health. There was a neuroscientist from the University of Chicago who did a study on basically the United States and found out that 25% of people in America confess to being lonely. And I thought that was pretty amazing. One-fourth of our population feels lonely. And so as your pastor, I've experienced this firsthand because over the past years, many of you have come to me and have expressed your loneliness. You've expressed your lack of disconnection. You've, you've, you've expressed your, your fears, your, your frustrations, your hurts. And it burdens me as your pastor that there are people in this very room this morning who are hurting who aren't being ministered to, that, that aren't experiencing that connection. And, and it shouldn't be. It should not be. So how can we as a church family do a better job of addressing this issue? There's many ways we can go about meeting needs. But over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the beauty and the benefit and the value of a disciple-making small group. Now, if you've been going through the 50-day spiritual journey, I've kind of introduced that. I introduced it briefly last week. I introduced this concept of a disciple-making small group. It's different than your typical Sunday school class. Most Sunday school classes focus on what? Just acquisition of information, filling your head with knowledge, which is not bad. We want to have theology, we want to have doctrine, but we also want to have it go deeper. We want to have connection, we want to have fellowship, we want to have relationships. And so a disciple-making small group takes it a little bit deeper. We want to have gospel-centered relationships where we can laugh together, we can cry together, we can celebrate together, we can experience life together where needs are being met. Now remember, I don't expect you to get all this, okay? Because I'm introducing this and it takes a while to process this, but there's four purposes of a disciple-making small group, four goals that we want to accomplish in our life as disciples. Number one, we looked at it last week, to know and obey God's word, to know it and to obey it through scripture saturation. So the foundation for everything is God's word, knowing it and obeying it. Today we're going to look at number two, practicing the gospel one another's in fellowship. Next week, we're going to look at being a missionary, living missionally, being evangelistic, and then fourthly, reproducing leaders. So let's ask two questions this morning. Here's the first question. What exactly are these gospel one another's? What are they? And number two, how is being connected to a disciple-making small group going to help us be able to practically live these out in community? So those are our two big questions. What are the gospel one another's? 
You may have heard of these things, uh, love one another, so-and-so one another, these one another's in the Bible. What, what are they? And how does being connected to a disciple-making small group help us? So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Again, we're going to kind of be all over the Bible this morning, so hopefully you're ready for a little bit of a sword drill. Um, we'll hopefully be able to, to navigate through the Scripture. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Hear the word of the Lord this morning from Paul. Paul writes, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Notice what Paul says there. He says, being affectionately desirous. I don't know what your translations use there, but it's the only time this word is used in the Bible. It's, it's a strong term, almost like a parent for a child, where Paul is saying, I have this unique, common, um, unique, uncommon, very deep relationship with you as this church in Thessalonica. And notice what he says there at the end of verse 8. He says, you had become so dear to us. So Paul has this, this intimate fellowship with this church that he's so desirous for their growth. And notice what he says. He says, we shared the gospel with you. We shared the gospel with you. We came to you and told you about salvation, but we also wanted to go deeper. Notice what he says in verse 8. We were ready to share not only just the gospel with you, but we wanted to share what? Our very selves. In the original language, it says our souls. We wanted to share our souls. We wanted to have this unique relationship where the gospel does something. Now, there's something unique about the gospel. The gospel creates something. Something unique, something extraordinary that the world doesn't understand. The gospel creates community. The gospel creates a church family. The gospel knits us together in this unique bond that we really can't explain except for Christ has done it. And so one of the goals of a disciple-making small group is that we can experience this. Sharing life together. One-on-one, life-on-life, sharing life together. So we can say like, Paul, you know what? You as a church family have become so dear to me. I am so affectionate for my church family. Now remember, what is our end vision? Here's our end vision. I've shared it every week almost. We want to see a gospel-centered culture here at Emmanuel. A gospel-centered culture, number one, where every single person connected to Emmanuel is being transformed or conformed to the image of Christ through a disciple-making process. And so, as we looked at last week, the foundation is knowing and obeying the Word of God. Today, number two, it's how do these one another's really help us to fulfill that envision? So we're going to look at these. There's six, six, six of them. I can't get my fingers right. There's six primary. There's probably more, but there's six predominant one another's. And we're going to look at these one another's this morning, but before we actually look at them, I want to explain something to you about the original language. Every single one of these in the original language, there's two things we need to understand. Number one, every single one of them is a command to be obeyed. So they're not options. They're not suggestions. They are commands to be obeyed. 
Number two, they are in the present tense, which means they are commands to be obeyed on an ongoing basis. So in other words, we could translate these, keep on continually as an ongoing basis, as a lifestyle, practice these one another. So it's not just a a one-shot deal. It's not just a one-time thing. These are commands to be obeyed as a lifestyle, as an ongoing outflow of your life as a Christian. And so let's look at the first one. The first one's the most foundational. The first one's the most important. And here's the very first of the one another's. It's very simply this. We are to keep on continually loving one another. I was waiting for you guys to fill in the blanks. Loving one another. Loving one another. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John. So go back to the back of the New Testament. Again, I told you we'd be turning uh, to a lot of scriptures this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And I want you to hear what John the, uh, the, um, the Apostle writes here about loving one another. It's a very strong statement here. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. He writes this, Beloved, let us love one another. Love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved, we also ought to love one another. Verse 7, verse 11, twice, love one another. We ought to love one another. We are commanded to love one another. It's a non-negotiable that we are to be loving one another. And notice, I want you to notice how Jesus makes it even stronger. Because Jesus gives a little caveat to how we are to love one another. In John 13, 34, Jesus says this. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. Now, why is this a new commandment? Didn't the Old Testament teach that you were to love one another? Actually, the Old Testament said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus raises the ante here and says, you are to love one another, but with a different type of love, just as I have loved you. That's the type of love we're supposed to love one another with, the love that Christ showed us. What type of love did Christ show us? It was a sacrificial love. It was a selfless love. It was a giving love. It was this flowing love. And so that's the way we're to be loving one another. So how can we truly do this as a church family? I mean, You can hug a person during the welcome time, but do you really love that person as Christ loved them? How in this church can you truly know other people and be known by other people? It's really hard in a big worship service like this to know other people and to be known by other people. In a disciple-making small group, you can know others and be known in an intimate setting. You can truly practice what it means to love one another in practical ways. Think about it this way. If, I, if, if all week I waited till Sunday morning to hug Don for 10 seconds during the welcome time. Okay, Don, I'm going to hug you during the welcome time. And then um, from the pulpit I may nod at her and say, hi, Don. And then like maybe every six months I take her out to eat. Maybe at the fellowships we have, I sit by her about once a month at potluck. <clears throat> Would I really be loving my wife? Would I be knowing? Would that be a healthy marriage? Most would be like, you're in trouble, Sean, if that's all you do. But think about church life. We hug each other for 10 seconds. We sit by each other at a potluck. We wave across the sanctuary. Is that truly knowing one another and being known? 
I would say not. So the first foundational one another is loving one another. And a disciple-making small group gets you in a context where you can love others in very practical ways. Now let's look at the second one, okay? The first one's foundational. Love others, love one another the way Jesus loved us. But here's number two. Number two is we are to welcome one another. Or some translations say accept one another. So Romans 15, 7 will be on your screen. Here's, here's the second one another. Therefore, welcome or accept, some translations say there, one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul says, keep on continually as an ongoing basis, welcoming one another, accepting one another, drawing one another into fellowship. It was really in the original language it meant to, to pull someone aside for a personal conversation to, to get intimate with them. And so Paul says we're to be accepting one another. But notice how he roots it in the gospel. Notice what he says. Well, put, put it back up on the screen here just for a moment. Notice what he says. He says, welcome one another, that Romans fifteen seven passage. He says, welcome one another. Can we go ahead and just put that back up there? Welcome one another for the glory of God as, there he is. Therefore, welcome one another. What does it say? As Christ has what? Welcomed you. Let's just stop and think about that for a moment. How has Christ welcomed us? How has Christ accepted us? Did Christ wait for us to get our act together before he decided to die for us? Did Christ say, if you clean yourself up and get rid of all your junk and all your baggage and you present yourself worthy enough, then I'll consider leaving heaven and coming and dying for you. If Christ adopted that attitude, would any of us be saved? Not one of us would be saved. And so we're to be welcoming one another the way Christ welcomed us. Notice what Romans 5, 8 says. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait for us to get our act together before he decided to accept us. Okay, here's the point. If we're to welcome one another the way Christ welcomed us, we need to be ready to accept one another's baggage, okay? Let's just be real honest this morning. I don't want you to raise your hands, but all of us have issues. All of us have baggage. All of us have troubles. All of us have problems. None of us are perfect. We're weak. We don't have our acts together. And as if a church family is going to exist and be real, We've got to be willing to accept that with one another. We can't go to other people and say, well, I'm going to accept you if you're just like me. I'm going to accept you if you got your act together. I'm going to accept you if you're nice to me. No, part of being a church family says, I'm going to learn to accept you because Christ accepted me. And because Christ accepted me, and I was a sinner, and I was a rebel, and I didn't have my act together, I'm going to accept you the same way. Now, that doesn't mean that we, like, we accept sin and we just brush sin on the carpet. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that we, we welcome one another. We have to take some risks. And, and think about a disciple-making small group for a moment. If you're in a disciple-making small group, it actually forces you to do this because you can't hide. Some of you can come to a worship service and hide and be anonymous and slip in and slip out, but with your group of people, you actually have to learn to welcome one another and accept one another and learn to live one another. Here's something that the world talks a lot about. Do you hear the world talking about tolerance and diversity and acceptance? How much does the world talk about tolerance, diversity, and acceptance? But think about this. They have no understanding of true gospel-centered acceptance. The church is the only place on earth where there's multi-ethnicities, multi-cultures, multi-races, people from different social strata, men, women. They can all come together under the umbrella of Christ and truly be one. 
Does the world understand that? They can talk about tolerance and diversity all they want, but when it comes to being the church, you really have to learn to accept and welcome one another in Christ. Now, welcoming one another means more than just shaking hands during the welcome time, okay? You got that? It gets kind of chaotic in here during the welcome time. People are jumping over chairs and hugging each other, and it's fun to watch from above and be like, wow, there's some wild stuff going on Sunday mornings. Do you really know someone if you shake their hand for five minutes and smile and say, welcome to Emmanuel Baptist Church? Now, we want you to feel welcomed here on Sunday morning, but when we talk about welcoming the scriptural way, it means to intimately get into each other's lives where we can learn to accept, learn to love, learn to get along. So here's the first one. What was it? Love one another. Number two, welcome or accept one another. Here's the third one. We are to keep on continually bearing the burdens of one another. Bearing the burdens of one another. Paul says in Galatians 6, 1 through 2, let's listen to what Paul has to say about bearing the burdens of one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Here we go. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now what Paul is speaking about here is a ministry of restoration. He's saying if somebody sinned, we're to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. But let me ask you a question. How do you prevent the sin from happening in the first place? How do you prevent that person from falling into sin in the first place? Paul says you bear one another's burdens. You come alongside and you bear one another's burdens. You invest in people's lives. Now, one thing I've seen here in northeastern Colorado, I'm going to pick on us for a minute. Is that okay? We live in a farming and a ranching community. And what I've seen over the past seven and a half years is there's a lot of people that have this self, this, uh, I don't need help from anybody. This self-assurance. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I don't want to ask for help. God helps those themselves, uh, which is not in the Bible. Uh, self-reliance, it, it's a sign of weakness to ask for help. We don't want to ask for help. Christians, we've got to get to the point where we can ask for help. It's okay. Can I give you permission to ask for help? Because sometimes we just need help, whether that's physical help, whether that's spiritual help. Can we turn the air on in here, guys? I'm seeing people fanning themselves, and I'm starting to get a little warm myself. So I don't know where Jack is or if somebody can, can do that. That would be great. I don't know if you guys are warm, but I'm seeing people fanning. I'm hot all the time, so I'm up here flailing my arms, so I guess it doesn't matter. Um, here's the thing about a disciple-making small group. You can't be private. A lot of people like their privacy here in northeastern Colorado. I don't want to tell people about my problems. I don't want to tell people about my issues. But here's what happens. When a crisis comes, what do you do? You get mad because nobody knew about it. In a disciple-making small group, you can bear one another's burdens. You can share your frustrations. You can come together and do what God has called you to do. Let me give you an example. Last Thanksgiving... Uh, we were eating dinner at my house, and my parents were there. And we are right in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner, and the, the door knocked. I'm like, who's knocking on the door on Thanksgiving? Well, it was a lady across the street. She's a single woman. She lives alone. She came over on Thanksgiving, and she had locked herself out of her house, and she needed to call a locksmith. And my parents were so shocked. They're like, my goodness, how sad is it that there's a woman on Thanksgiving. She's not eating with anybody. She has nobody in town to call. She has to come over to your house and use the phone on Thanksgiving with a locksmith. There's a lot of lonely people out there that's burdens aren't getting bared. So, so think about what you can do in a disciple-making small group. Can you bear one another's burdens? Can you help each other? Can you um, do hospital visitation? Can you provide meals? Can you do benevolence? Can you do counseling? Can you do babysitting? You know what? Let me just give you permission. You are free to try this at home. 
Doesn't have to be the pastor. Now, let me just give a caveat. Doesn't mean I'm off the hook, okay? I'm not saying, let's do disciple-making small groups so I can sit back in my office and twiddle my thumbs and not do anything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm still going to do hospital visits. I'm still going to do counseling. I'm still going to do all those things. But wouldn't it be awesome if the first person you called when you needed help was someone in your disciple-making small group where they provided meals, they provided counseling, they did the hospital visitation, and you multiply that by a whole church of disciple-making small groups, then everybody's needs would be met. Wouldn't it be awesome if every single person's church in this, every person's needs in this church was being met and it wasn't by just one person? Okay, that, that would be very awesome. Romans 15.1 says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We've got to bear each other's burdens. And again, it's a continuous action. The word bear there in the original language has the idea of exerting energy. Is it going to be tough to bear one another's burdens? You bet. Is it going to take time? Is it going to take energy? Is it going to be emotionally draining? You bet. I'm not going to paint you a picture. Guys, when I'm talking about it, this is a paradigm shift in how we do church. And I don't know about you, but I've been here seven and a half years and I've told you that I'm not content with doing church with just this surface thing where we just come and we go and there's no real connection and community. And so if it's going to happen, it may be messy, it may be ugly, it may be frustrating, it may be tiring, it may be exhausting, it may be draining, but in the end it's going to be worth it because we're going to be obedient to what God's called us to do with the one another's. And so I'm just painting a picture here to say, this is reality. If we're going to live out these one another's, we have to get into each other's lives. Okay, so number one, what is it? Love one another. Number two, Welcome one another. Number three, bear the burdens of one another. Here's number four, and this is where it hurts. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Key word there, restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Paul says aim for restoration. Interesting Greek word there. That word restoration means a doctor that would reset a broken limb or a fisherman that would repair a net. So if there's a broken relationship, Paul says we need to aim for restoring broken relationships. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now leave that slide up for just a moment because the world talks a lot about forgiveness, doesn't it? You go on Dr. Phil, he talks about forgiveness. We've got to forgive ourselves. Everybody's got to be forgiving. The world places a premium on forgiveness, but notice how the gospel element is in this passage of Scripture. What does Paul say? Forgive one another. Why? As God in Christ did what? Forgave you. So not only do we have the model of forgiveness in Jesus, but we have the power of forgiveness in Christ in our lives. We can forgive others because Christ forgave us. How did Christ forgive us? On the cross, he, played, he paid fully for our debt. Past, present, and future, all of our sins, the debt was canceled on the cross. And those of us who are Christians should be the freest to forgive because we've been so easily forgiven, so powerfully forgiven. Oftentimes, I'll meet with Christian people and um, they'll come into my office and they'll have this look on their face like they're being real spiritual and they'll say, I just don't think God's called me to forgive. And I look at them and I say, what are you waiting for, like some mystical appearance from God from the heaven to call you to forgive? He's giving you the Bible. He's told you to forgive. You have no choice in the matter. You can't choose whether you're going to forgive or not. Now, I'm not saying it's not hard. Sometimes forgiving can be the hardest thing that you can ever do. It's excruciatingly painful to forgive. 
Because a lot of us have deep scars. Some of us have been hurt deeply. Forgiving is a very hard thing to do, but it's a command. We don't have an option. We've got to forgive. Now think about a disciple-making small group here. Think about it. If you're close-knit with a group of people, you're going to have more opportunities to offend others, which gives you more opportunities to forgive. Now, I'm not just setting you up for failure here, saying, okay, all of our disciple-making small groups are going to be so dysfunctional that we're going to have to be forgiving each other all the time. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when you truly practice the, the one and others in real ways, you're going to be hurt. You're going to take risk, and you're going to have to learn to forgive. So what's number one? Love one another. Number two, welcome one another. Number three, bear the burdens of one another. Number four, forgive one another. Here's the fifth one. Encourage one another. Keep on continually encouraging one another. Now let's turn to Hebrews. Go back a few books. And let's listen to the writer of Hebrews talk about encouraging one another. We're going to look at two places in Hebrews. Let's first look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 12 through 13. And by the way, I know I'm going really fast, these one another's. I could probably preach a sermon on each of these, but for the sake of our sermon series, I'm, I'm tackling them all in one Sunday. So if you need to digest this, the sermon manuscripts are out there on the table afterwards. You can digest this more. And so I know I'm kind of hitting you with a fire hose this morning with all of these one another's, but I wanted you just to see the, the big picture. So Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 13. A very, very powerful passage of Scripture. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day. Did you catch that? Exhort one another on Fridays, right? Exhort one another when you feel like it. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now here's what exhort means. Exhort means to come alongside someone, to get down in the trenches with someone. Now, a lot of times when we think of encouragement, what do we think of? A happy, clappy cheerleader on the sidelines saying, you can do it. And we give platitudes that you can find on a Christian mug or a Christian t-shirt and we stand at a distance and we pat people on the back and we give them big cheesy smiles. That's not what encouragement is. Encouragement means to come alongside someone, to get down the trenches with them, to walk in their steps and to help them. And notice what it says, every day. Why do we need encouragement every day? The writer says right there, why? Because of the deceitfulness of sin. We're going to be deceived by sin every day if we don't have encouragement to help us in our sanctification. Now, let's keep going through Hebrews. Let's turn to chapter 10 for a moment. He's going to reiterate this. In Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25, the writer's going to tell it to us again So that we get it twice here in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is again every day encouraging one another. Here, here's a question for you. How many days have you gone by this week and you have not been encouraged by someone that wasn't your spouse or your child or your, or your best friend. Think about that for a moment. Have you given encouragement or have you received encouragement from another believer every day this week? And if we haven't, are we being obedient to what the Scripture says? 
That's a powerful call to encourage one. And there's different ways we can encourage one another. I mean, we can make phone calls. We can write letters. We can send emails. We can, there's different ways that we can do that depending on your personality. But the Bible says here to do it every day. And so when you're in a disciple-making small group, you have opportunities to do that because you know each other's needs. You know each other's problems. You're bearing one another's burdens. You're in that disciple-making small group where you can actually concretely and practically be able to give encouragement to one another. It's very easy to give encouragement from a distance, right? Go out there and be the best you can as a Christian. Go out there and do it. Distant encouragement. A disciple-making small group says, no, we're going to encourage each other in the trenches. Okay, here's the sixth one, and I think it's, it's vital. If the sixth one is not here, all the other elements are going to be lost. Okay, this is, this is the foundation for our church. It's the foundation for everything we do. Here's the sixth one. Keep on continually praying for one another. Prayer's got to be foundational to everything that we do. Look at James, 15, James 5.16. It'll be up on your screen. <laughs> Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, it's a very interesting passage of Scripture here because what, is, what does James say here? He says, if you pray for one another and you confess each, your sins to one another, you may be healed. Now, what's he talking about there? Does it necessarily mean physical healing? It could. But is there such a thing as spiritual healing and emotional healing? Think about what healing means. Does healing mean you're healthy? Healing means you're healthy, right? Think about this picture. If you are consistently loving one another, welcoming one another, bearing the burdens of one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, praying for one another, do you think you're going to be a healthy person? Do you think you're going to have healthy relationships? Do you think you'll be healed? Now, sometimes it's physical healing, yes, but I think other times it could be emotional or spiritual healing when we pray for one another and confess sins to one another. And here's where it gets risky, because notice, we, we're okay with praying for one another. I'll pray for you. And by the way, here's what we often do. I'll, I'll be praying for you, and then what do we do? We walk off and we forget to pray. My former pastor, uh, Pastor Ron, I've told you guys a lot about him. He taught me something when I was a young youth pastor. When somebody asks for prayer, you pray with them right then and there. That's why many of you, I will pray with you on the phone. I will pray with you in the hallway because I don't want to say I'll be praying for you then I walk off and leave. I want to pray with you right then and there. And we need to practice that. Pray for one another right then and there. As opposed to saying, I'll be praying for you because honestly, how many of us really remember to pray for one another when we leave? But here's where it gets scary. Notice what else James says there. Confess your sins to one another. Oh, wow, Sean, I didn't think you were going to talk about that. Confess our sin. Okay, I can pray for you, but to confess, that's getting a little bit too personal. Confess our sins? No, you know what a gospel-centered culture is? A gospel-centered culture is where we have a culture of repentance. We call sin, sin. We confess sin. We own up to sin. We don't brush sin under the carpet, and we're willing to go to others and say, I have sinned against you. Not, I have, um, if I've done something to offend you, I'm sorry. Don't we usually say that? If I've, done, if I've done something to offend you, I'm sorry. No, that's not the way it works. We go to people and say, I have offended you, and here's the specific sin that I've offended you with. I'm going to confess that sin to you because I've confessed it to God. Would you please forgive me? We've got to have a culture of confession. And here's what happens in a disciple-making small group. 
You can share requests. You can pray for each other. You can encourage one another. You can celebrate those victories. You can celebrate when God actually answers those requests. And notice what, what put, that, put that passage of Scripture back up on the screen again. Notice what James says there at the end of that passage of Scripture in James chapter 5. He says there is great power. Uh, the James chapter 5, um, 516 says there is great power. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let me just ask you a question. Isn't that what we desire as a church, power? Not just raw power so that we can be powerful, but we want to see God move in power. God to do powerful things. Now, do we want to see broken lives healed? Yes. Do we want to see marriages restored? Yes. Do we want to see people get saved? Yes. Do we want to see people be transformed by the gospel? Yes. Do we want to see God rip open the heavens and bring revival to this land? Yes. How is that going to happen? Now, God is sovereign and he's going to do what he's going to do, but God has called his people to do what? Pray. And if we're not praying for one another, not just some generic prayers like a prayer that I bless you, you know, God, God bless this person. No, specific prayers for each other. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the Holy Spirit transform people? Hopefully by now you're saying, yes, the Holy Spirit is the one that transforms us. Now, can the Holy Spirit just zap us from heaven and we're automatically transformed? Could he do that? Yes. But how often does he normally transform us? He normally transforms us through other people's influence in our lives which is an amazing thing when you think about it. If the Holy Spirit is doing the work of transformation, he often uses broken, weak, disturbed, feeble people like ourselves to actually show his power. So when we practice these gospel one another's, we are weak people sharing our lives with other weak people, and we're not the ones that do the transformation. God's the one that does the transformation, but he often uses us as the vehicle to which he does that. And that's an amazing thing to think about. Notice what 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says. Again, Paul, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to who? God and not to us. Now, what's the, what's the treasure in the jar of clay? The treasure is Jesus and his gospel. So when we come to others and we give them Jesus and the gospel, we give them a treasure. But the jar of clay is us. We're, we're broken pots. We're, we're battered and bruised and we don't have our acts together. And God does this amazing thing. He chooses to use humble, weak, feeble people to bring the greatest message in the world to people that are lost. Not so that people look at us and say, we're so great, but the people look at Jesus and says, he's so great. So the power belongs to Christ. And that's an amazing thing that when you practice these gospel one another's, God is showing his power through you so that people will fall on their knees and say, God is truly a great. God. That's what I want in our church. Don't you want people to fall on their knees and say, God is a great God. Don't look at us. Don't look at me. Look at God. And when we love each other and we forgive each other and we bear the burdens of one another and we encourage one another and we do these things for one another, God receives all the glory and it's a healthy church. It all comes back to the great commandment. Now, can you do these one another's in a worship service? Maybe. Can you truly pray for one another in a worship service? Can you truly encourage one another in a worship service? Can you truly forgive one another in a worship service? Can you welcome one another? Can you, can you do that really in a worship service? Maybe to some extent. The worship service is for the gathered body to come and bring praise and glory to God in the public gathering. But to truly live out the biblical one another, there's got to be another context for the church to do this. 
for us to be obedient to it. And what we're saying as leaders is that it's a disciple-making small group. Now, it comes back to the great commandment, the two great commandments. Mark 12, 30 through 31. We've seen this the past few, few weeks. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Okay, that's the vertical. We're to love God with everything that we are to glorify God, to praise God, to to give our lives to God, to worship him in all of his glory and majesty. But notice the second greatest commandment. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So how can you love God and love others in powerful ways? Generically, you can love God in the privacy of your own home. You can love God in a corporate worship service, but really to truly practice loving one another loving each other, practicing to one another. It's got to be in some type of community. Now, there's obviously different ways we can do this as a church, but what we're saying is, is that business as usual with a cognitive int- information-based Sunday school where all it is is head knowledge, we've got to move beyond that to a more integrated system or more integrated um, strategy to where we're integrating head, heart, and hands together into a disciple-making small group. And so what are the two foundations so far that we've looked at? The first one is it's got to be scripture saturation. We've got to be saturated in the scriptures. And number two, we've got to be consistently loving one another, practicing these one another's. So those are the two foundations. Next week, we're going to look at the third foundation, and that is living as a missionary. We've got to not be so concerned with just we four and no more. It's got to be about seeking, seeking the lost and sharing the gospel with the lost and, and seeing ourselves as missionaries. And then we're reproducing leaders. How else are new leaders going to be reproduced? What, what context do we have for that? So again, like I did last week, I'm asking you just to simply begin to pray about this. I know this is a new information. I don't expect you to get it all just because I stood up here and ran it and raved. I want you to pray about it. And as a matter of fact, in two weeks, the last Sunday night of October, I think it's October 28th, what did I say from the very beginning of this 50-day spiritual journey? What are we going to do? We're going to come back as a church family that night. And we are going to simply have a time of sharing what God has been teaching us. So I pray over the past 50 days, you've been learning, you've been growing, you've been experiencing the joy of the Lord so that you can come back in two weeks and we can have this whole room full and people will stand up and give testimony like, this is what God's doing. This is what God's doing. This is what God's teaching me. This is what God's showing me. I envision this night, and maybe I have high expectations, but I'm envisioning this night where people are coming with excitement saying, I'm ready to do what God has called us to do. And so we all collectively get the vision. Like I said earlier, I could stand up here and say, this is the vision for Emmanuel. Follow me. You'd be like, oh yeah, right, Sean. Some of you may follow me just because, you know, you're compliant people. But for the most part, we want this to be a vision that God drops upon all of us that we've experienced together, and we're all seeking the face of the Lord, and we're coming together to see what his will is for our future. So all I'm simply asking you to do at this point is to pray about it. Pray about a disciple-making small group. Pray about how you can be involved in the gospel one another's. Pray about scripture saturation. Pray about God's future for our church. Because I think God has exciting days ahead. It just may mean, and let me just, let me speak off the cuff here because this isn't in my notes. (laughs) It could mean if God really, really wants us to move forward and it's not business as usual and he wants us to go deeper into discipleship and deeper in each other's lives and he wants us to go deeper, let me just give you a, a, a surgeon's general warning, okay? It could be painful. It could be painful. 
I don't know what that looks like, but we need to be prepared for whatever God lays ahead of us, that if he's calling us to do it, even if it's painful, I would rather obey and experience the pain than to not obey. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe you don't understand what I'm saying. Maybe I don't understand what I'm saying. I just know that anytime you move forward with what God calls you to do, it's not going to be a bed of roses. God may orchestrate and events or Satan may come and put things in our paths to prevent us from truly seeking God's face. And what I want us to do is ramp up our prayer, ramp up the awareness of spiritual warfare to know that if God's really calling us to do this, we've got to be ready for whatever, whatever comes our way. But guess what? We're a church family. We can handle it together because we have Christ on our side and he's knit us together as a body of believers. Okay? I've spoken long enough. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I simply want to just <clears throat> ask you, um, which one another really impacted you this morning? Which one another do you maybe struggle with or do you really want to have change in your life? You want to experience yourself. Maybe it's welcoming, maybe it's forgiving, maybe it's praying, encouraging. So just spend some time in silent prayer this morning asking God to, to fill your heart with joy and to um, just work in your heart to, to be able to do what he's called you to do. So just spend some time in silent prayer this morning asking God to, to move into work and to do, his, to do his will in your life this morning as people that are, are so overwhelmed that you would use us as jars of clay to give people the treasure of Jesus. Not so that we can draw attention to ourselves, but so that all the power goes to you and all the glory goes to you. And Lord, I'll be the first to admit that as a church, and as an individual, Lord, I know that I, I fail many times at these one another's. There's times when I'm selfish, I'm self-seeking, I'd rather do my own agenda, I don't want to give time to other people, and it's so easy just to go through life with a one-track mind and, and think about myself. Lord, please forgive me for that. Forgive us all for having the attitude that we're just in our own lives and that nobody else really matters. And Lord, we've never verbalized that, but sometimes by the way we live, we, we actually send a pretty strong message that that's what we think. So would you help us to be those that love one another and welcome one another and or that we bear the burdens of one another and forgive one another and encourage one another and pray for one another. Lord, so you would receive the glory so we'd be a healthy body. Lord, I don't want anybody in this family of fellowship to not have their needs met, to feel lonely, to feel disconnected, to not, to not be a part of things. Lord, we want to be a church family that's, that's healthy, that's growing, that's vibrant, that's, that's ministering to one another. So Lord, show us what that would look like. Show us how these disciple-making small groups may be a vehicle to have that happen on a widespread, massive level in our church where everybody's participating. Lord, just give us your vision. We want, only want your will, Lord. We don't want our will, we want your will. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.